Welcome to the Old Galway Diary podcast. Each week, my colleague Tom Kenny and myself, Ronnie O'Gorman, produce a page in the Galway Advertiser with Tom's photograph and a story from Galway's past. We contact each other beforehand to see what has been published that week. And our podcast today is That Conversation. Hi, Tom. Good morning. Another Hello, Ronnie. Morning, I'm glad to say. Yes, yeah. amen. Yes, I know. We're lucky to live in Galway with this weather. It's been so wonderful recently. Um, Tom, I kind of, if you don't mind, I kind of took a, a, a marking from you last week when you were talking about the ban and tea in the market. And uh, I don't know if it's the same with you, but on my uh, dining room table, which is now my office, I have a number of books that people are su- suggesting I'd review or get stories from. A very good one, actually, from uh, a, a woman called Bridget Kavner. She's from near Stokestown, County Roscommon. She's in her 90s and uh, she's done what I wish more and more people would do. She's written about the highlights of her life. And uh, it's a book called In My Mind's Eye. And I think it's very, very good. It's privately published. And at the moment, probably it's difficult to get it circulated in the bookshops. But I'm sure it will be because it's one of these really honest books about growing up in rural Ireland. And the point, one of the points that struck me very much was about her dad. Her dad, John Scheel, was um, uh, a carpenter. He was a small farmer, of course. They're all small farmers, really, and a carpenter. And by being a carpenter, he travelled around to the various farmhouses fixing carts and uh, farm implements or building a bit of furniture. But he, he kind of knew the lie of the land and he became, without really asking for it, a matchmaker. Now, we, we kind of laugh at matchmakers, at least I used to, uh, I suppose, you know, um, the, the, the whatchamacallit, the matchmaker by John B. Keane, who dealt with a serious subject through laughter. But of course, matchmaking is a serious subject, particularly in very rural parts of Ireland. Not now, but it certainly was. And you had a situation where the the man who eventually inherited the farm, usually the eldest son, really could not think about getting married until his middle years because he'd, first of all, the, the, the other brothers would go off, would, would emigrate. Um, you couldn't bring a new wife into a house where there was a sister unmarried. And certainly the poor old mother could live in the corner if she accepted that the new wife would, would be the Benantee. But uh, so a good matchmaker, and John Shield was a good matchmaker, would have to get the sister uh, matched as well. So <laughs> he was a dad, a dab handed a dab hand is getting the dowry that the new wife would bring into the house given to the sister so she'd have a dowry so she'd get married and leave the house. So it was a tricky business and um, it was, uh, you know, done with, with a certain amount of uh, pernash by this wonderful man, John Sheen. If the woman did not get married, really, you know, life wasn't great. Uh, in rural Ireland, 
Um, certainly a lot of girls did. They emigrated to England mainly. Girls went to England and there in the big cities, they had probably a better chance at a better life, really. They could pay for, uh, be apprenticed to a draper or a grocer or a publican in the village. And when they were out of that apprenticeships, then work in the pub uh, or the little grocery shop or the drapers. And, um, you know, the worst of all was to go into service where you were given your keep, but little or no respect. So marriage was very important. And, um, you know, it, it, it was a, a deal done among practical people. The farmers were small. Their farm could be anything from 100 acres to 400. Quite a small farm. And now, mind you, if the, if the farmer was successful and had a good you know, herd of cattle and sold them well, he could send the sister to university. And that often happened. But that was, that was the few and far between cases. The majority were back on this marriage market um, to be looked at and um, hopefully been made a good choice. So I'm going, to ma- I'm going to write about that, Tom. I was very moved by it. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised, Ronnie. Uh, <clears throat> actually, I knew, I'm thinking there, I knew several couples who, in fact, had been matched together yeah. and who subsequently had very happy lives and marriages. I'm delighted. Uh, yeah. yeah, it wasn't all um, <clears throat> kind of robot-like or machine-like, quite the reverse. In all of the things you were talking about, human emotion came into it as well, with the farmer and his wife. And uh, <clears throat> it's, it's, uh, it's important to realize that as well. And yeah. the other thing that I, I <clears throat> occurs to me when you're talking about Bridget Kavanagh's book, one of the things I very quickly discovered when I started to do this old Galway piece was that everybody has a story to tell. Some are more interesting and more exciting than others, but everybody still has a story to tell. And it doesn't matter whether you're from South Roscommon or Henry Street in Galway. Uh, You know more about South Roscommon or Henry Street in Galway than most other people. They are the experts. Mm. And so in going to these people, when I'm doing this old Galway stuff, it's, it's going, you're getting it from the horse's mouth. You're getting it really from somebody who knows. It may be laced a bit with folk memory here and there, but that's part of the fun as well. And so it's a kind of mixture of history and nostalgia. And it sounds to me like yes. that's what that book is about. Yes, I'm glad you said that because there's a lot of sensitivity in it as well. Even though the match make the match made was a very practical thing. Um, this man, John Scheel, was very good. He'd, he'd involve his wife in it as well. And he would tell his wife, the girl uh, or the man, the farmer he was trying to find a match for, and he had a girl in mind. So the next fair day in Strokestown, when, you know, a lot of people came into town, there was a market and you bought necessities for your house back in the, in, on, on, in the field somewhere. Um, he would, his wife would chat to the girl in front of the pub and uh, that the the matchmaker would have the 
farmer in question in the pub so he could get a look at the girl that uh, he was kind of fancying and wondering, you know, would he or wouldn't he? And uh, so this man did this very well. Now, it's very possible that the poor girl knew <laughs> when Mrs. When um, uh, John Shields' wife asked, could she talk to her for a few moments, probably knew what was happening and would be looking her best. And they would stand outside uh, the pub and uh, make sure that uh, the farmer had a good look because it was very important. He got a girl and uh, uh, what you would call her, uh, Bridget, Cabinet says that she had to really have a well-rounded figure was highly desirable and uh, to, to have a broad back to bear the burdens of child and farm. And that was kind of understood. A skinny girl was called a Diana and uh, the poor girl was considered a bit delicate. So anyway, um, if the girl by chance was of a, a mature age, um, still, deals could be done and maturity was respected and acknowledged, but the dowry would have to be bigger, probably 500. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, yeah. Speak, speaking of mature age, um, yeah. <laughs> oh. I feel I'm going to get it in the neck this week myself because uh, this week I have uh, a photograph of a Salerno leaving cert class of 50 years ago. Oh, my God. Every time you put girls or women in and date it, you're in trouble, or at least I am, anyway. <laughs> uh, now, maybe this is far enough back, but uh, <laughs> it's very funny. And usually, uh, certainly in the early days of it, uh, on the Friday morning, somebody would come into the shop and they'd say to me, Excuse me there, Mr. Kinney. No, that, that picture you had in the observer yesterday, that, that was you got that wrong now, you know. Uh, uh, that must have been 1959 now, not, not 1949, because our, our bride isn't that old, you know. And you're usually, you're looking at our bride standing in front of you, you know, and it's, it's fun now. Anyway, but this is a Salerno uh, photograph, uh, very impressive. And in fact, when you look at those ladies now as they are, uh, you will realize there's a huge amount of achievement uh, in those women uh, since that photograph was taken. And the reason for it is that Salerno is going to be 50, 60 years old next year. It's hard to believe. I remember when it was opening, and uh, it's kind of hard to believe it. <clears throat> the sisters of Jesus and Mary came to Galway first. They bought a house known as Spire's House in Chantala, on the Rahun Road. Yes. And they used it as a residence, but also as a residence for uh, female students in UCG. And um, then the bishop began to feel that, you know, there was Scalorsa <coughs> was uh, a school on the edge of Salt Hill, but Salt Hill was growing very fast in the 40s and 50s, and he felt Salt Hill needed a new national school. And so he invited these sisters and they took over a house that was known as Allen's Hotel, or uh, Daly's Fort House was an, the actual name of it. It was in a small hotel. It was in, Ard, in the middle of what is now 
Ard Namara. Uh, it became famous at one stage because <clears throat> there was a British boxer called Bruce Woodcock, and he trained there, and he was getting <laughs> ready to fight uh, Martin Torrent, <laughs> which I vaguely remember. Yeah. But anyway, they, they set this school up, in the National School, in 1952 with 43 pupils. Uh, but they must have done extraordinarily well because it, it absolutely blossomed. The numbers increased very quickly, and within less than a decade, they had to knock the building down and build a completely new school, a big modern school for the time. It opened in 1962, and while <clears throat> it was being built, these sisters held their school classes either in Seapoint Ballroom or in the Hangar Ballroom. Uh, there were nothing, if not uh, practical, as you say, about it. Anyway, they at the same time, they now realized that Salt Hill needed another secondary school for girls. And so in the same year, 1962, what they did was they, the graduation class from National School, they set them up as secondary top, they called it. Uh, it was a small number, eight girls, uh, but they, they became a secondary school class within the National School building. And they did this for three years. And then they bought a house on the corner of Rockbarton, River Road. It's opposite the Salt Hill Hotel. <coughs> Excuse me. And Salerno was the name of the house. And they set up a secondary school there. And again, it proved enormously successful. The numbers increased hugely and very quickly. And so... Uh, the bishop gave them land on Threadneedle Road and they built what we now know as they kept the name Salerno. They built the school, but again, uh, the numbers kept increasing. And so they've had to extend it a couple of times since. And uh, it's, it's actually a remarkable school. And it makes you think of the contribution these sisters made. And indeed, the contribution that the Dominicans, the Sisters of Mercy, the Jesuits, the Patricia brothers, all of these people made yeah. to the quality of life in Galway and surrounds. Uh, because this school, uh, it's it's very visionary kind of a place. I mean, they, they have a great emphasis on academic results, but they also put a major, <coughs> uh, develop a major interest in drama, in poetry, in literature, in music, in the arts generally. They also uh, hopefully educate people for, uh, as they describe it, justice and peace, to give them a sense mm. that uh, there is poverty in Galway, there is poverty all over the world, and maybe if they get a chance, they might be able to do something about it. Well so said. they educate these girls for life, really, mm. and uh, yeah. and it's well, usually... Yeah, I could... I couldn't agree with you more on two things. Number one, we really do owe a debt of gratitude to the sisters that came into this town. You're talking about, well, I just mentioned the presentation and the Mercy Nuns came in at the time of the Great Famine. And they went into the, you know, the poor hospital in Galway and they swept it out and they got straw for the beds and they did wonderful work. You're quite right. We do owe a debt of gratitude yeah. to the yeah. sisters who gave their lives, really, to educate girls in particular. And exactly. uh, Well, in the case of the Dominicans, cancer. for instance, Ronnie, yeah. they were feeding almost 2,000 people a day yeah. during the famine. 
2,000 people. In the case of the Patrician Brothers, the monastery school, mm -hmm. they set up a breakfast system for the boys because they were all very poor, yeah. uh, the students in the Mon in those days. And, uh, and that's what kept them alive. It wasn't just educating them. It was actually keeping them alive. Yes. So you're quite right. It's, yeah. they, they, they hopefully keep us intellectually alive now. Uh, well, as I, I, we were talking about immigration the other day. You know, the sisters gave these girls skills that when they did go to the UK or they went to America, they did have a skill. They could actually, you know, hold their own, whether it was embroidery or it was housekeeping or whatever, they were able to do so. And um, we might actually talk about the sisters someday, Tom, because they really have had a bad modern era and compared to their initial times. Now, I, I'm, I'm not talking about uh, the Salerno nuns. Or the I understand. You know, but yeah. there are some yeah. who have suffered a lot. Going back to the school in Taylor's Hill, Tom, I'll tell you a story. I was at that school. I was at the opening day of that school as a pupil. And I remember it well. And then I was dragged off to the jazz. But um, yes, I was there. And I used to walk up behind my house, Lenoboy Park, across the fields to Daly's Fort Road. And my poor mother used to look out the landing window at me walking away. And I'd look back and she'd be there. So I can still see her face in the window. But um, yeah. I agree with everything you say about Salerno. It's a wonderful school. And uh, you hear great things about the achievements of the young ladies there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, so it's a very important anniversary. And what the it's nuns are doing now, and the reason for me putting this piece in this week, is <clears throat> that they are trying to develop a network of past pupils, of alumni. And it's not they're not looking for money. <clears throat> they just want to keep them abreast of things as they are happening in the school, of improvements or achievements or whatever, uh, but also to rebuild um, contacts and friendships. Some years ago, uh, our class in the jazz, we were 50 years uh, out from our leaving cert, and we got an idea to have a class reunion. Our class was very small, so we actually brought in the class behind us as well. And we did this twice for two years running. And it was truly amazing. On the, the first weekend, <clears throat> we had a kind of a casual get-together in Lonergan's pub. We didn't want it all to be terribly formal. And we would be standing there, and the door would open, and this head would kind of peek in and look. Yeah. And we'd be thinking, if there was hair on that fellow, no. Would, what was his name kind of thing? <laughs> and he, he would be wondering, would we recognize him and all of this? But... The moment we realized who these fellas were, as they, and we hadn't seen some of them for 40 years, 50 years, we were back up the stairs in the jazz again. We were in that little classroom again. It was truly amazing, the effect it had. And one of the things we did was <clears throat> we brought out a CD at the end of it. We used all of the old photographs we had, things, a few things like schools reports or newspaper clippings, all of the photographs we had taken at that weekend as well. But we put at the end of this, everybody's contact details, yeah. their phone, their mobile, mm. their email, etc. Mm. And it started a whole 
new raft of renewal of friendships, really. It was absolutely wonderful. And it was lovely to see it actually happening as well. So, you know, the best years of your life, I suppose, people will always tell you were in school. And well, for, yeah. for me, they certainly were. Oh, good man. Well, people don't change, Tom, do they? Physically, no, I, I, no, I there's no. a 50th reunion of my own school and everybody came in. We knew immediately. We all shouted out, my goodness, look, there he was exactly as he always was. He has got older and more broad in, in, in all directions and less hair, but still the same person. No question. It's wonderful. Yes. People don't change. Yeah. They don't change. Yeah. Absolutely right. They don't change. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, Tom, that sounds great. So listen, both of us, we've got plenty of stuff this week. Again, yeah. we need more space than we'll get. But um, anyway, Tom, lovely. Enjoy uh, the, I enjoy our chat very much, Tom. You take care now. Yes, you too. You too, Ronnie. Right. Okay. Bye, God bless you. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye-bye.